0: Well, today we will begin to take a look at the book of Titus. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Titus is, of course, in the New Testament. And if you find one book that begins with the letter T, you've found them all. They're all right there in the same area. So Titus, and we're going to, of course, look at chapter 1. Let's go ahead and jump on into it, so verse one, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ now let's just go ahead and briefly pause there for a moment of course T- um, Titus knows who Paul is. Uh, there was no real reason for Paul to introduce himself in this personal letter to Titus but of course this was just customary of the apostle Paul's writings. Here he first of all states who he is and that is a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ and of course we've talked about that word bond servant in times past and we know it means a slave but furthermore it speaks of one who is a slave by choice. Uh, the word bondservant was used for a slave whose uh, time was up as a slave. But by choice, they decided to remain with their master. So what we get out of this, of what Paul is saying here, is I choose to be a servant of God. He could walk away, but he did not. Now, As I apply that to us today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you too have the opportunity at any time to walk away, to stop serving the Lord, to take your eyes off of the Lord, to fix your eyes on this world and to go in a completely different direction, to be led by the flesh, the flesh rather than led by the spirit. But Paul is making a statement here, again, of who he is. He is a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to be anywhere else. He wants to be serving God with his life. And I guess right off the bat, we could all ask ourselves the question, where are we? Where are we as followers of Jesus Christ, as servants of God? Is it all we want out of this life? Is it everything to us? Well, we know from Scripture that it should be and that it needs to be. And Paul also states to Titus the obvious, and that is that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that word apostle means one that has been sent forth with orders. And of course, we know from the account in Acts chapter 9 that Paul was indeed sent forth with orders directly from Jesus Christ himself. No man chose Paul. The Lord Jesus Christ chose Paul. And he met him on the road to Damascus. So again, Paul starts this letter by stating who he is, and then he goes on here to explain how or why, if you will, he is who he is. And verse 1 continues, he says, According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. So we see a couple of different things here. Paul is who he is because because of or according to faith as one of God's elect. Paul, however, was chosen by God in a very unique way. In his life without Christ, he was determined to do evil to other believers in Jesus Christ. If you remember the story in Acts, he was on the road to Damascus to have Christians arrested, right? He was persecuting believers in Jesus. But the Lord specifically chose Paul, again, in a very unique way. He intervened in in Paul's life and literally knocked him to the ground. Paul was blinded by the experience and then Jesus sent a man named Ananias to tell Paul what he now must do for the name of the Lord. So in that sense, Paul had no choice. Paul didn't voluntarily choose Jesus. Jesus chose Paul to be an apostle. And then Paul walked in that apostleship by faith. So the word elect there in verse 1 simply means picked out, chosen. And you can make much ado about that word if you want. You can make a, a doctrine out of it if you so choose, which of course people have. But it is simply a word that Paul uses here to express the fact that he was chosen by God to serve Jesus Christ in the way that he did. No other person on the face of the earth was chosen in the way that Paul was. And no other person on the face of the earth did the work that the Apostle Paul did through the leading of the Holy Spirit and through God's direct will intervening in his life. Now, of course, we all have experiences in the Lord. We've all come to the Lord in one way, shape, or form. And maybe things can be similar, but you're not writing any Bible books if you are. you think you are stop (laughs) because that's done with and that's how the lord used the apostle paul that's one of the ways in which the lord used the apostle paul was to give us these writings that we have that is the word of god also notice there in verse one that paul is who he is because he came to the place where he acknowledged the truth The truth that Jesus is the Christ that he did indeed rise from the dead but it's very simplistic here Paul is just saying this is who I am and this is why I am who I am this morning as we sit here as people that have come to acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is we are growing in that knowledge we are who we are because of who he is and because of what He has done. God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus has shown us the way to the Father, taught us the truth, and has given us abundant life. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul fulfills his ministry by walking by faith. But he's also walking in something else. And verse 2 says he's also walking in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Okay, so let's tie these first two verses together here. In verse 1, Paul mentions faith and truth, right? We know from the scriptures that if you don't have faith, then you have no hope of eternal life specifically if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ you have no hope of eternal life and we also know from scriptures Hebrews 11, 6, that without faith it's impossible to please God but by faith we hold on to the promise of God that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life and we see that in John 3:16 don't we So again, we come to God by faith and we hold to the fact that according to the promise of God, we have eternal life. But in addition to this, in addition to faith, we live a life of obedience to the truth. And our faith is seen by so doing, right? So faith and truth go together in our hope of eternal life. Now, don't think of the word hope as you would the word wish. I know in our daily language we exchange these words as if they are the same, right? We say things like, I wish you well, or I hope you do well. But the way the word hope is used here is in the sense of the expectation of something good happening. We know it's going to happen, we expect it to happen, and what is it that assures us of that? Faith and truth. Walking by God in faith, right? Or walking by faith in God. <laughs> and the finished work of Jesus and living in obedience to the truth, which accords with godliness, as verse 1 says, right? So again, you've got to tie it all together here. We come to faith in Jesus, we then walk in obedience to the truth, we live a godly life, and we have the hope, the expectation of eternal life, which God promised. Now I want to uh, scripturally expound for a moment here on walking in truth which accords with godliness. So mark this page, and just turn back a couple of books to... 1 Timothy chapter 6 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll look down at verse 12 so 1 Timothy six twelve, fight the good fight of faith so now pause right there for a moment it says fight the good fight okay it it does not say you know sail the smooth waters of faith to belong the lazy river of faith no it says fight the good fight so what are we fighting for well for one we're fighting the good fight of faith to lay hold on eternal life, as it says right here in verse 12. And it goes on, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, first of all, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it becomes very well known to people around you. It's very well known because you confess it in the presence of many witnesses. But the instruction goes on here in verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So you've come to faith, right? You've acknowledged the truth. And now you are to walk in an obedient life, keeping the Word of God, keeping the commandments of the Word of God, without spot, blameless. And for how long do you have to do this? It tells us there, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So we keep walking in obedience to the truth, and we lay hold of eternal life at the end of it all. Now, let's look at another scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and and looking down at verse 6, starting in verse 6, speaking of God, right? It says that He will render to each one according to His deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So we're talking about eternal life here, right? We're talking about coming to Jesus by faith, acknowledging the truth, then having the expectation of eternal life. When you come to that place, you then patiently continue in doing good. Why? Because you are seeking glory, honor, and immortality. You are fighting the good fight of faith by obediently doing works that you may lay hold of eternal life. So faith and works are are going hand in hand here, aren't they? And for those that don't obey the truth, verse 8 here says, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But... Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So our faith in Jesus Christ is evident in a couple of ways. First of all, we have a confession of faith. People know of our faith because we confess it with our words. Secondly, our works display that we are people of faith. The book of James tells us that an inactive faith isn't really faith at all. At best, it's a dead faith, right? But Scripture, as we see, implores us to have an active faith and then obedient life to the truth which accords with godliness. So let's turn back now to Titus chapter 1. Paul said there in verse 2 of Titus 1 that God promised eternal life before time began. This literally means before time's eternal. So before the beginning of man, before creation, God promised eternal life. That was what was in the mind of God, if you will. That was God's plan, eternal life. Ephesians 1.4 states this also. It says in Ephesians 1.4, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So God already knew that He was going to offer salvation to all of mankind. So in that sense, all of mankind was predestined to eternal life. All they have to do to receive it is to come to faith in Jesus, acknowledge the truth, and live in accordance with godliness. So that's why the preaching of the Gospel is so important, because people need to hear it to come to Christ, in order to receive this salvation that God desires for them. Because God is not willing that any should perish, right? But that all should come to eternal life. All right, so, what a loving God we serve! What an awesome God. He is mighty to save, He is able to save anyone and everyone. Look at the Apostle Paul, study his life, see the type of person that he was. And see how he came to Christ and he was used by Christ to change many of us who have come to Christ through the written word. So God promised all of this before time began, right? That salvation was going to be offered. And then verse 3 here, he says, But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So all that God promised, right, came to fruition. It was manifested. It appeared, if you will. And how did He chose to make all of this known? Through preaching. And the preaching of God's Word, Paul says, was committed to Him. And it's been committed to many others. It's committed to me here this morning as well to reach out with the truth of God's Word to all of you here and to those that may listen to this teaching over the Internet or in some other way. But do you see that all of this, all of this is just packed in these first few verses here, right? We're just getting through Paul's opening comments here in Titus. We haven't even found out who he was writing this letter to, have we, right? Verse 4, though, tells us to Titus, A true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So, as with Timothy, Paul had... A loving relationship, a common faith with Titus. It's important that we are around people of of a common faith. Because again, it's not easy to walk by faith through this life. It is a fight. It's so easy to get off track and find ourselves not living in obedience to the Word of God. But Paul expresses to Titus that he's glad he's there. And he pronounces a blessing on Titus, the blessing of grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then he goes on to begin here to instruct Titus in verse 5. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So, if you remember when we looked at the letters to Timothy, Timothy had a role to play in the churches that Paul planted in the city of Ephesus, right? Timothy was an overseer, and so is Titus. Timothy in Ephesus and Titus in Crete. And Titus was to appoint elders. And as Paul gave Timothy instructions on how to choose elders, so Paul will do in the life of Timothy or excuse me in the life of Titus as well verse 6 says if a man is blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination so they're looking for godly men here men that are fighting the good fight men that are walking in obedience to the truth and therefore are blameless married men that keep their marriage as what it truly is, a a holy matrimony. Men whose children are not running amok. It's pretty cut and dry, right? Then verse 7 says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-control. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You see, if a man who steps up to lead, if he himself is not holding fast to the word, if he himself is not obedient, then he will not be able to, use sound doctrine to exhort and convict others. He can't be known for being self-willed. He must be known for being led by the Spirit. He must not be quick-tempered. Instead, he must be known for gentleness. And this should be seen in his house. His children should say, yeah, he's not a quick-tempered man. Right? He's a gentle man. His wife should know this. He shouldn't be a drunkard. And he shouldn't be chasing after money. Instead, he should be a man that loves what is good, that exhibits self control, and opens his house to everyone. So Paul is telling Titus hey, don't just put anyone in a position of leadership in the body of Christ. In verse 10, he says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Wow. (laughs) Do any people like this exist today? Paul's saying it would be best if those people would just shut up. And he gives an example here in verse 12 of what one of those kind of people said. He said in verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. So, Verses 12 through 14 here to me are kind of humorous. Paul says that these these type of people need to shut up, right, who, who are speaking this kind of stuff. And, and he says that one of them said this about the Cretans, but he says, you know what? It's true. <laughs> and And the reason it's true is because they are living like the people that are teaching them. They're listening to fables of these teachers. They're listening to men who have, turned away from the truth, who are not satisfied with just teaching the Bible, teaching God's Word, but rather come up and tell stories that make people feel good, that make them sell books and make lots of money and stuff, right? So instead of being overeating, lazy liars, these Cretans needed to be rebuked so that they could become sound in the faith. So Paul's instructing Titus here to find real men of God. It might be hard to find them in Crete <laughs> at that point in time because they're known for being worldly. But he says, this is what you got to do, Titus. You know, I talk occasionally with a couple who are missionaries on the island of Crete, um, Just every once in a while, I'll speak with them, and they tell me of their struggles in reaching the people there, right? And jokingly, I said, well, what do you expect, right? (laughs) And we laugh about that, just in accordance with these scriptures. But, you know, there is a message for us today in God's Word. As, of course, there always is, right? We're to live in a godly way, both demonstrating and confessing our faith. Again, no one said it was easy. God's Word sure doesn't say it's easy. It it takes commitment, right? And obedience is so often very contrary to our flesh, isn't it? All of us. Again, Paul told Titus here, rebuke these people sharply. And you know, sometimes a man of God needs to go into the lives of certain people and with the Word of God, rebuke them. Especially with those that are falling victim to fables, falling victim to religion, becoming very complacent and self-centered, and just filling their own bellies and, and hearing things they like to hear. But the Apostle Paul told the Colossians, he said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, he said, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? You see, people even today fall into all kinds of false teachings. But we are called to faith. We are called to truth. We are called to an obedient life, a life led by the Spirit and by sound doctrine, a set-apart life. We are called to godliness and to righteous living. And verse 15 here continues and says, "...to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure." But even their mind and conscience are defiled. You see, when you are purified, you of course have been purified by Christ, right? No other way can you become purified. It's only by Christ and Christ alone. Not by following any religion, not by following any pastor, any doctrine, any creed. It's by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. His finished work on the cross and what He has done That's how you've been purified. And you don't need rules and regulations. Why? Because you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you. You don't need to be told what defiles you. For the person, though, that has not been purified, then even pure things become impure to them. Everything is an innuendo. Everything immediately is turned into something dirty. And we know of these people, we call them gutter minds, right? (laughs) People that will mock people of the Lord today. Jesus said in in Luke chapter 6 that a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree, Jesus said, is known by its own fruit. So Paul says to Titus here this is what a man of God looks like. This is, her, this is who you are to make elders out of, right? And this, on the other hand, is what a non man of God looks like. So he tells Titus, choose wisely. Because there are some, like verse 16 here says, they they profess to know God, but in their works, or but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So, do you see what's being said here? They profess to know God. How many people profess to know God? How many people make a confession of faith, but their works tell a different story? So again, works do matter, don't they? If someone is living a a disobedient life, then they are disqualified for every good work. You see, Christ went to the greatest length possible to redeem us. Speaking of Jesus, First uh, or Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, what are we now to do? Well, we are to now be bondservants of God, choosing to live a godly life. We are to live in, in a manner that is pleasing in the sight of God. And we have the Word of God that instructs us on how to live that life, the life that is qualified for every good work. Right? We are not to turn again to the unfruitful deeds of darkness, where we are not to buy into fables and the doctrines of men, but rather we are to stay obedient to the truth of the Word of God and then Ultimately, we will lay hold on eternal life, which was promised to all those that will come to faith in Jesus Christ and walk in obedience. But it's more than just a profession of faith, right? For many profess faith, but they deny godliness. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. But we, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you profess to be born again, you and I, all of us, we must choose to be bond servants. Right? And we must choose to fight the good fight of faith. To stay the course, to finish the race. Not to give in. Not to be conformed to this world, as Romans twelve one says, right? But rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and then go on to live an obedient life. And this obedient life then becomes evident to everyone around us. And then we become a tree that is known by our fruit, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have again seeing your word today. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. But through Christ, through you, Lord, we can do all things which strengthens us. And Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have not left us comfortless and alone. You have given us your word. And your word teaches us and instructs us in righteousness. It corrects us. It rebukes us and reproves us, right? But, Lord God, You desire that we would walk in obedience to Your Word. Not just have a form of godliness and deny the power, but to actually live it out. Because, again, Lord, You went through so much to redeem us. You gave Your all, everything. You sacrificed Your entire life. And You shed Your blood. And, Lord when we receive of you, we can't then trample your blood under our feet and walk in the way of ungodliness. We must instead choose to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and walk in the path that you have for us, which is the path of righteousness for your name's sake, as your word tells us. So again, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray your blessing as we go forth in the week. And may we live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.